Benvenuto to Kimberly's Italy. Welcome back to Kimberly's Italy. And this is Episodio Otanta. Episode 80. Dio mio, huh? <laughs> 80. Whoever thought we'd get this far. Right? There's a there's a little thing in podcasting called pod fade where people start podcasts and after three episodes they just can't keep going. We don't have that problem. No, we don't. We have the opposite. So, um, Aguri. Congratulations on our episode 80. We are calling it the tale of two bolognese, two ragu meals in one day, three in 36 hours. Oh, yes. Tommaso felt he owes it to you, to you loyal listeners who love the Italian cuisine as much as he does. And since Bologna is where Italians go to eat, just imagine what a treat it was for someone like Tommaso on his first trip there. More importantly, I owed it to myself <laughs> to have three bolognese in 36 hours. Well, it's only because we could only stay. We were there longer than 36 hours, but we could only stay two nights because we were fitting a lot in on this trip. And therefore, had we stayed, you know, four or five, six days, like I would prefer to do in Bologna, you would have just 72, exploded. 72. <laughs> a tale of 72 bolognese. Okay, maybe next year. Allora, just a quick side note before we dive back into La Cucina Italiana in Bologna. I want to just briefly explain the difference between our podcast and my travel planning. As you know, we started this podcast during COVID, thinking that a lot of people would enjoy hearing about all things Italian. And at the same time, it gave me something to do because I had absolutely no travel planning business due to the fact people couldn't travel to Italy. And much to our delight, we are now listened to in 116 countries. 117. What? Yes. You you did not tell me that. I'm sorry. It's, you know, I don't know. We're getting hard to update with all these facts and figures. He's the analytics man. Regardless. (laughs) Well, now you know. 117 countries. We are sharing things on our podcast that we think you will learn from, enjoy hearing about, and as we've heard directly from a lot of listeners, we give enough information which helps people plan their own trips. And that makes us happy as well. But what I feel I need to point out here is that our podcast does not have advertising. No companies are paying for us to insert an ad on their behalf. So my livelihood comes from my travel planning fees. That's why I don't give away the names of all my secret spots or my Italian colleagues that I work with that I hire for my clients' trips. And I'm only reiterating this because I get so many emails and Instagram messages weekly asking me for the names of these contacts of mine and all the places that we talk about on the podcast that I don't specifically name. And I reply to each and every single one of these requests, and I politely explain what I've just said here. But to be honest, I rarely get a reply from them stating that they understand or thanking me for replying. So that's why I feel the need to explain this difference. In Soma, Makes in, sense. in Soma, thank you. In Soma means in summary, which I actually love the word as much as allora. <laughs> but in this case, in Soma works better here. If you'd like to go to all these sweet places I speak about, 
then engage me if you can to plan your trip and you'll have the same amazing experiences. Otherwise, just continue to listen to our podcast and take away from it all that you can. Va bene? Certo. Certo. Now, let's go back to where we left you hanging in our last episode in a salumeria, which most of you know is like a very fancy delicatessen that specializes in Bologna, specializes in all things meat. If you are the church lady, I am the Salumaria man. (laughs) There's not a Salumaria that I don't want to walk into. Perfect analogy. All right. As I mentioned in the last episode, we were in the Salumaria and it was very crowded and it was like actually jam-packed. And I happened to look upstairs into, I just looked up, I should say, because it had high ceiling and it was this open attic, you know, type of room. So I thought people are eating up there. Tommaso would like die and go to heaven if he could eat in a salumeria. So I walked over to the casa, you know, the cash register that I always speak about. And the cash register plays a very important role in Italian life. It's everyone's life. It takes the money. (laughs) No, but you know, you can't even have a cappuccino without going to the cash register. Exactly. So in this case, I had to go to the casa, to the cash register, and inquire to see if they had a table. And he looks at the watch. He's like, it's almost closed, but okay, there's one table left. So up we went, up these kind of rickety stairs that that waiter had to go up and down a thousand times. (laughs) And everyone up there was Italian. And we thought, good sign. Mm-hmm. And it was a very cozy type environment and it smelled delicious. So right as we sat down, I could literally see the excitement in Tommaso's face. <laughs> so naturally he ordered a ragu and I asked for anything green, a salad, vegetables, anything. Because keep in mind, we had just been in Denmark for seven days where I just had cheese, bread, cheese, bread. So that's what we ordered, but we also ordered a little appetizer just for Tommaso's sake, a small little bit of brasaola, prosciutto, and some cheese, and two glasses of Italian rosé. Yeah, it just felt more like a rosé lunch. Yes, it was celebratory, but also it was a pretty day, etc. So right as we, what happened right as we were finishing the Appetizer? So the, the waiter came over and politely asked if he could tell them to put the pasta in. Because this wasn't some, excuse me, but it wasn't an olive garden where you <laughs> sort of have this pasta sitting around you, drop it in hot water. I know they put the freshly made pasta that was probably made that morning or that afternoon into the hot water. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, my ragu came out. Yes, but, that's quite the service. Yes. Knowing that you want it as fresh, or I should say, knowing they want to serve it. They as want fresh to give it to you as, as fresh as possible. possible. So I was diving into my salad. Tommaso was eating his ragu and he wasn't really saying much. And I thought, oh no, it's not nearly as good as what he expected for this awesome Salumaria. And so finally I said, how is it? And I kid you not, you closed your eyes, you kind of rolled <laughs> rolled your head back a little, swallowed, and you said, it's amazing. It's the best I've ever had. Uh, well, the best I've ever had since the night before. <laughs> and, you know, ragu there is like art. And I'll talk about another ragu later, but every one of them is beautiful. It's just a matter of how you interpret it. Some are a little bit 
smoother. Some are a little bit of, of, of milk with, that they've um, cooked the meat in. They're all beautiful. This was the best one since I had the night before. That's a very good um, description. It's how you interpret it. It's how you interpret it. Interesting. All right. Well, anyway, I was happy that he was happy. And then we left there happy. <laughs> and we decided to look at the other salumerias and all the kiosks in this outdoor market area, which is simply called Mercato di Mezzo. And it's located really close, two side streets off from Piazza Maggiore in that medieval area called the Quadri Latero. And, you know, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode last year on Bologna, but quickly, for those of you who think of going, I'll say them again. There's several food markets all over this smallish city, and they sell the seasonal, local, and regional products. And there's four that I would recommend going to. So the one we were just in, Mercato di Mezzo. There's another one, Mercato di Novale. It's an outdoor market in Piazza Carducci. And this market in particular has a lot of slow food producers. And Italians, Italy in general, was the founder of the slow food movement. Then another market is called Mercato Albani. And it's it's not touristy at all. It's not quaint in appearance like the Mercato di Mezzo. But it's an authentic market and it also offers panini, aperitivo, but it's more where the the working locals go. Right. It's the real, like, legit, authentic food shopping experience. Also in one of these, you know, large outdoor, you know, arcaded buildings that is just so nice compared to walking into a big box grocery store like we have with fluorescent lights and everything. And finally, there's Mercato della Erbe, which has been in the same location since 1910. It's on Via Ugo Bassi, number 23, and it's chock block full of fabulous foods and bakeries. A lot of these other markets don't have bakeries, cheesemongers, meats, you name it, but bakeries kind of set this one apart. I just wanted to fill everybody in on that in case you're thinking of, in case you're hungry and thinking of going to Bologna. <laughs> and if you weren't hungry, you probably are now. Right. I am. So there's excellent markets in Bologna. Back to our post-lunch stroll, we decided we had a goal every day of where we're going to walk and what we were going to see because we didn't have that much time, as I mentioned. So we wanted to see the other medieval towers that make the Bologna skyline so unique. And the main two towers, as we've mentioned, which are right by Piazza Santo Stefano, where we stayed, and where we could see them out of our window. Out of our bedroom window, it, it which was... was fantastic yes. laying in bed looking at that tower leaning your two towers yeah two towers but one's leaning more than the other yes. one <laughs> yes. you're like yeah and they're lit for christmas and they yes, change red. the light from red to like a dark purple yeah oh, it was just it was beautiful awesome those two towers are the main ones and they're just kind of referred to as the two towers and their names are the asinelli and garisenda and those were obviously the family surnames that built them back in the day and like Tommaso mentioned, they're no longer completely vertical, hence this intriguing skyline I just mentioned. So we decided to go find Torre, which means tower, the other tower called Prendi Parte, which was built in the 1100s. It's about the second oldest and the second tallest, and it's in remarkable condition thanks to some very recent restoration. But sadly, the day we were there, it was closed, 
because I was dying to go inside. Since they did that restoration, you can rent different floors of the tower for an event, a party, a wedding. You can rent the entire place. You can sleep in it. It's not like a hotel per se, but it is available to rent. I, I've played $2 on the Powerball tonight. And if we win, <laughs> you're all invited to the party we're going to throw there. Okay. Buoni day. Uh, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> so when we left the Prandiparte Tower, we walked just like another few blocks. And all of a sudden, there's another one. Torre Guido Zanni, which clearly had been reduced to half its size over the years because a lot of them started leaning too much so they reduce them, you know, by half or by one third, et cetera. So these smaller towers like this Guido Zani, they're like a dime a dozen in Bologna. And the more you walk on these random little streets, the more you'll find. And at one point toward the end of that walk, you're like, oh, there's another one. All right, let me take a photo. <laughs> it wasn't, it was, and funny thing is over the hundreds of years, the people that want to live in a normal type structure built right up to it, into it almost. I mean, you couldn't go into it, but their buildings abut the tower. Some are almost proud in front of it. You right. know? It was very interesting, and we just kept finding them. And then we also came across something else that I thought was really interesting, is Casa Azuguidi. And remember that one? It had those wooden y yes. um, I mean, there's a structures that held... There's a lot of buildings in Bologna. It is so old. It's like it's straight out of a um, a medieval movie set because it's very similar to the construction in some of the buildings in, in England. Oh, I kept thinking it looked like a Western movie set, you know, with the wood pillars. And, no, no, no. Okay, no, wrong, no. wrong architectural century. But this, <laughs> and continent. <laughs> so after we left there, Tommaso decided that he wanted to go back to our accommodations and have a little lion. I thought, all right. So I went with them. And as we were just walking down some random road, I saw this unbelievably beautiful, ornate iron gate that led into this courtyard of a large, you know, Bolognese red brick palazzo. And it was not, the gate was closed, but you could clearly walk in. So I did, and I was taking some pictures. And when I turned around, there was a gentleman that was in like this, office area and he came out and said can I help you I said oh I just want to take a picture of this palazzo stunning and he said it is it's called palazzo buon compagni which means good companion isn't that a great name that was the family surname also their last name was the equivalent of good companion and so he said to me well actually later today at 5 p.m we're having a tour if you're interested it's like fantastic okay thank you very much so I took a picture of the name, the street, to remember how to get back, and we left. Tommaso went to go have a lie down, mm -hmm. and I walked up those 110 steps and walked right back down and said, I'm going to the Buon Compagni place. So I did, and I walked in, and there were about eight or not, maybe 10 other people, all Italians, and this very, very young historian tour guide came in and she's just basically said hello thank you for coming and I was like what she spoke faster than anyone I've ever heard <laughs> and I thought she just greeted us imagine what it's going to be like to 
understand what she's saying in this tour. So right as we were about to to go and start walking through the courtyard and the whole ground floor of the Palazzo, this woman came in last minute and she just was this vision of perfect Italian, of a perfect Italian woman. She was dressed so nicely, so elegant. She had these high heel, like stiletto heeled boots on, these tapered pants, this beautiful coat, this hat, and a big, beautiful scarf. I could never rock a hat like this woman did. <laughs> and I just looked at her, I was like, wow, what a shame Tommaso's not here. <laughs> because she was just the quintessential, beautiful Italian woman. And I thought, this is exciting, you know, not just because she was beautiful, but someone like that, someone like myself, all these other people were at this old palazzo. They were all Italian. Maybe they were all visiting Bologna, but they all wanted to learn the history of this incredible palazzo. So we did. And this rapid fire speaking tour guide started explaining everything. And I I got about 80% of it, I think. The palazzo was built by this family, Buoncompagni, and Ugo Buoncompagni, that's a first name. He became Pope Gregory the something, you know, the sixth or seventh Pope Gregory. And what is Pope Gregory most famous for? The Gregorian calendar. Oh, you know, because I already told you. Yes, well. <laughs> I came back so excited with this news after, you know, I, I got back to our accommodations. I was like, guess what happened in that Palazzo? So this Pope Gregory apparently traveled all over the world. He was intrigued by other religions, other cultures. He went to Asia. He went to every continent there was. And he kept noticing the time difference with the daylight and how he didn't think it made sense from life in, in Italy. So he studied it along with all kinds of science, etc. So he invented the Gregorian calendar in 1582, and it replaced his predecessor who designed the first calendar, another Italian, Julius Caesar. So that was a long time between Julius Caesar and 1582. And his Gregorian calendar has its small flaws in that, I find this very funny, he was off by 11 minutes in terms of the time it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun. 11 minutes in 1582. That's no small feat. That's that's nothing sort of astounding. Right? Isn't that incredible? So I thought, this is so awesome that this is, he came back to Bologna. I mean, obviously he had to be in Rome, but from all his travels, he came back and he worked on it and he studied it in this beautiful piazza. He came up with it and introduced it to the world. So I thought that was fantastic. And on top of that, that beautiful woman, woman that was in the tour the whole time, I discreetly, during this one um, area that we were in, like a greeting room, like a ballroom of this amazingly beautiful interior. I discreetly took a picture of her. And when I got back to our place, I showed Tommaso, I go, so listen, in case I'm hit by like the Bolognese bus tonight, <laughs> I give you permission to go find her. I still um, haven't received that picture. <laughs> I showed it to you. I know. But oh, you, you it want it in your own? Um, Just, you know, use some AI to sort of get, you know, go through the pictures on the web and find her. 
Just in case. Oh, oh, I see. I was just in say, case. I didn't get her name or address, but good luck. Anyway, that was a lovely tour. And when I did leave, I asked because I was so intrigued by it. I asked that gentleman that was in the like the gatekeeper if they ever give the tour in English. And he said, sure, if we have enough requests, then then we coordinate a tour guide that speaks English. Because this young woman, if she spoke English that fast, you still wouldn't (laughs) understand it. And I would go back for the English version because I literally missed like 20% of it. I'd go back just to see if the um, Italian woman came to the English version. You never know. (laughs) You never know. Anyway, so then... Finally, Tommaso decided, okay, it's time. Let's go have an aperitivo at this stunning bar we assumed was a bar. We saw through these huge windows close to Piazza Santo Stefano, this beautiful interior that also looked like a palazzo, but you could tell it was not a private home. It was some kind of restaurant or bar type. It was very groovy. Oh, it was awesome. And the thing is, the... The people, when we entered, the people in there were as beautiful as the interior. It was like the chic place to be, I guess. And the decor was just, like I mentioned, very palazzo-ish, elegant. And I must say, you only enhanced that whole feeling on the inside, dear. (laughs) Very, very cute of you. Thank you. We did dress up knowing how elegant it did look. And the thing is, I think... We were the only foreigners as well. And I think the reason is because there was no name on the outside of this no. bar. No sign, no name, nothing. And I think it's a local place that only Italians know about. And maybe they want to keep it that way. They were very nice yes. to us when we walked in. And they gave us their signature cocktail list. And we decided, let's do that. And so we ordered one that had gin and some kind of blood, fresh blood orange seltzer type thing and they added sage and honey and it was i could have easily had two delicioso yes it it was was so so good and we primarily just besides enjoying the drink primarily just loved being in this it was a beautiful place yes you know and the people was good for people watching oh yes yes there were some um characters at the bar very um let's call them elegant groovesters Hipsters, I was just going to say. Well, they're a little older than just hipsters, but they were all dressed really, really well. Right. And it looked like the place to be. Right. So if you're in Bologna near Santo Stefano, just walk around, keep looking in these big windows till you find the no-name place. But make sure you're <laughs> you a little... like Giorgio right now. <laughs> make sure you're a little dressed up. So we left after our one cocktail, long drink, as they say in Italian, And we had dinner reservations at 9 p.m. at the little Osteria Ristorante that the gentleman Giorgio, whom we met the morning before at the coffee shop. So listen to the previous episode if you want to know how this Giorgio connection came about. And we weren't sure where it was. He wasn't sure where this little Ristorante was, but he tried to describe it. So we assumed we had the right place. We were hoping it was the right place. And we walk in at 9 p.m. in this very comical and, you know... Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic owner, maitre d', said, Va bene, okay, andiamo a qua. So we went to... He brought us into a smaller dining room. And then he said, in Italian, but he said, This is the best table in the house in case you want to speak English. Ecco. 
Alberto e Sally. And then he leaves. <laughs> so we said hello to this couple. Alberto was from Bologna. And we introduced ourselves. Alberto is from Bologna. His wife, Sally, is English. And they live in London. However, they, they maintain have, an apartment in they Bologna. They maintain an apartment in Bologna because... Why he, not? Right. Why not? Why not? Because he is Bolognese. Yes. He needs to come home mm-hmm. and eat. Eat and eat. So we had the most lovely conversation. It was one of the most easy, free-flowing conversations, evenings I think we've ever had, considering we never met this yeah. couple before. And, and, and it went, it ran the, the gamut from food to global politics it was just great. And it was, you know, his obviously very educated man and his English was... As was she. Yes. But his English was superb and we just had a great time. I mean, it took me forever to eat my, which will be described (laughs) shortly. So they had finished their meal by the time we were seated and then we ordered ours and you can only guess what Tommaso had. But I figured since... We are in Emilia Romagna, the region that Bologna is in. They are most famous for their pasta tortellini. So I mentioned that to Tommaso and he said, you know, I'll get that a ragu filled tortellini. I was like, perfect idea because then you're like killing two birds with one stone. But it also had ragu on top. But you didn't know that yet. So when it came out, it was like double whammy. Yes. And, <laughs> it's all and, good. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'll order a tortellini. But the options were uh, two different ones filled with meat, the ragu that Tommaso got, and another kind of meat. And then the third option was ricotta, filled with ricotta and herbs, which I love ricotta. So I chose that. When our dishes came out, my tortellini was in this little oven baking dish like they had cooked the tortellini and then put it in the baking dish and then put like two pounds of various <laughs> kinds of cheese Jeez. on it and it was you know like bubbling on the top and I took one look I was like this is a cheese bomb a gooey dreamy delicious <laughs> cheese bomb there's no way I can finish it because it just looks so rich and at the same time, Sally and Alberto said, oh, your meal's here. We'll stop talking. Buon appetito. Two seconds later, we're like, oh, and so how do you find living in London after all these years? And, you know, the cultural difference. And we just chat throughout the meal, eating our tortellinis. And yours was? It was wonderful. It was, again, a work of art. And you just appreciate it in a different way. You know, each bolognese had a different texture a different flavor. Some cooked more like I make it with, you know, the milk and the little bit of nutmeg. Others weren't. This was this was perfect also. This was the best I'd had since the one at noon. <laughs> but I think what was also good is the conversation could flow because we both had tortellini and we could just spear one tortellini and eat exactly. it. Exactly. And have a conversation without having to work at the meal. That's a good point. I didn't think of that because yeah. it wasn't like we were taking a big bite of lasagna and had to chew it for no, five minutes. No. Yeah, it was good. And I, like I just mentioned, I thought there's no way I can finish this. And then, she did. you know, all of a sudden I looked down, I was like, oh, Dio mio, <laughs> I'm going to be a little full later. Anyway, it was so good and so lovely. And then we finished, they finished, oh, they sat there and waited for us. They had a coffee and a little 
you know, dessert cookies. Again, when you're solving all the problems of the world yes. in one conversation, you don't want it to end. It was really, really a lovely evening. And then when we walked outside, we said our goodbyes to that fantastic owner, chef. Well, first, Maitre they, first he came in. Oh, and I think correct. he was. I think he was going to offer sleeping accommodations oh, or something. I forgot. Right. We were the last four well, there. We closed the place <laughs> because we were in this smaller room and we didn't notice the lights were off in the other room. By right. then, the kitchen's closed. We're like, "Oh, mi dispiace." Well, I'm sorry. So we walked outside after we said our goodbyes to him and promised to be back, which we would if we can find it again. And we then say, you know, nice to meet you, our goodbyes to Alberto and Sally. And then all of a sudden, you knew it was coming. Alberto, being the Italian that he is, leans in for the kiss, kiss on either side. And then, oh, hugs, hugs all around COVID, schmovid. We just did it. <laughs> don't, I, I don't mean to be silly about that. But in that moment, we didn't yeah. mind. It was such a lovely evening. And all of that, all of this fantastic evening stemmed from a serendipitous meeting with Giorgio at a coffee bar that morning. I think that's one of the beauties of, again, we talk about traveling non-prime time, off-season. And when you reach out to an Italian and try and have a little conversation, and this is, you know, this is a, a little tidbit, try and learn a few words, try and be a little friendly, don't be intimidated They'll, they'll like it. And then you potentially, I mean, most of the time they speak great English exactly. anyway. And then all of a sudden it turns into a, a dinner with two people you, you never met and you have a two and a half hour conversation with. Right. Well, I will say that you don't have to speak Italian to befriend no. an Italian person. They are just generous and interested in you. Where are you from? Why are you here? Right. It was just I just, just awesome. The point being is you just in the off season when there's not a mob, you get exactly. a chance to actually have a good interaction. And if you seek out Italian looking places, we did not go into a coffee bar where there were tourists. Just seek out those places. And if there's, if the majority of people are Italian, go in there. And that's how these kind of things happen. As we left Sally and Alberto, Tommaso said, all right, let's go back to Piazza Maggiore and say goodbye to Neptune, Neptune, the sculpture, and look at the towers all lit up again. And I was like, certo, because I need to walk for like two off, hours. Off the cheese bomb. <laughs> to get rid of this cheese bomb. <laughs> and you all know by now our love of walking late at night anywhere in Italy, because that's why having a late dinner is no big deal because you walk it off afterward. And at the same time, you get to see all the architecture lit up. You see everything without the people. It's to me, it's a lovely, lovely evening. I, you know, we're beyond the age of being in a, you know, clubbing and all that kind of stuff. So to us, there's nothing better than walking around after a late dinner. Wait a minute. Uh, I would go to a club if we were well, next to No, one. but let's step back to Copenhagen. We were oh, right. in Copenhagen until like one thirty <laughs> in the morning with 20-year-olds. I forgot. Yeah. I totally forgot. Okay. Blocked that out of my mind. All right, don't listen to me. All right, so when we when we got back to the accommodations, I did not take the 100 steps back up. I should have, but we took the elevator. 
And the next morning, we thought, well, you know, we're going to Luca and staying in a rental, the most beautiful rental that I found for clients uh, last spring. And we knew that a lot of things would be closed for New Year's Day. So we deliberately chose this lovely rental in this small old palazzo. And we thought, it has a very nice kitchen in there. Let's go get some provisions for our New Year's Day. So we went back to Mercato di Mezzo and we chose to go to Simoni, the Silumaria cheese shop that actually Stanley Tucci highlighted it on his episode on Bologna, whenever mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. last season. And what time was it? Eight, eight thirty? It was mobbed. Mobbed. <laughs> and I think it's because it was New Year's Eve, the yep. morning of New Year's Eve. They were all getting ready to do their ritual celebratory New Year's Eve meal, which obviously includes a lot of brosala, prosciutto, cheese, bread, etc. So the place was mobbed. We bought a big, beautiful chunk of Parmigiano. Tomasa bought prosciutto and brosala, and off we went. We walked back through all the different markets, busy, just people buzzing everywhere, especially that fish vendor. Yes. Oh my God. They had squid and octopus and all kinds of things. And people were waiting for the little grate to go up open. Yeah. Because everything was so fresh. Yes. It First was thing in the morning. Amazing. So we took our goods, walked back to Piazza Santo Stefano, returned to our coffee shop. Sadly, Giorgio was not there. I would have told him what a lovely evening we had. And we had our last cappuccino and said goodbye to the baristas, which we'd only been there three mornings. And the funny thing is, if you, I always say to a barista, ah, questo cappuccino è migliore. This is the best. And I mean it. It's so good. So I think when you compliment a barista and say it's the best coffee you've ever had in your life, they remember you. (laughs) They're like, ciao, ciao, buon viaggio, (laughs) buon anno, right? Happy New Year. Have a good time in Luca. Uh It's like, ciao, ciao, we'll be back. So we went back up. I climbed up the 110 steps for the last time. We got our luggage, took the elevator down, and then we met the taxi that our little hotel organized for us. And we went to the train station in Luca. And by the way, that taxi driver, in case you don't remember, he was so nice. He was very nice. And he asked us, how was our trip? And I explained Tommaso's first experience of Bologna, of Ragu in the birthplace. It was and, such a different ride from the previous oh yeah, the night. first that, night. The, the taxi ride from hell. The first night, right. And this taxi driver then, of course, had to know about Tommaso's opinion of the Bolognese. And, and as we pulled up to the Luca train station, he said... Well, he said in, in Italian, but in English, it translates to, by the way, my wife makes the best ragu in tutto Italia. Com- complimenti. <laughs> complimenti, auguri. Lucky man. That's <laughs> Lucky what you man. should have said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think we need to stop now. Our next episode will be on Luca. We arrived New Year's Eve, late morning. And what did we do? We went straight to my favorite Trattoria. And had... Guess what Tommaso had? <laughs> I was going to say, and he didn't have ragu, and he just reminded me that he did. Yes. Dio mio. Hey, basta. Hey, basta. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all the business, for the emails, the compliments, you name it. Grazie mille. E ci sentiamo settimana prossima. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao tutti.